First John chapter four says this, that God is love and whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus, for there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command that anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And Heavenly Father and gracious God, as we come before you this morning, we pray that those words be more and more true. We have sung about your love for us. We've read about your love for us. And we pray that you'd be gracious to us, that this morning we would actually get to understand that and experience that in a deeper and more full way. And God, our prayer for that is not just so that we would feel great and we would have warm fuzzies, God, but our prayer for that is so that you would heal us and you would transform us and you would send us so that we could extend that love and grace to others in our world. So this morning, God, as we spend some time in your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would have your way with us. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Have your way with us. Mold us and shape us for your glory. And all of God's kids said, amen and amen. All right. Welcome, everybody. You guys doing okay so far? All right. Well, my name is Ben Kearns. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And um, I get the privilege of being with you this morning. I have a question for you I want you to think about. I need a little bit of interaction so it doesn't sound too awkward. But I want you to tell me what you think is the worst movie ever made. (laughs) Thanks, Amanda. Thank you. All right. I'm putting my cards on the table. I'm going episode one. Jar Jar Binks, Ruined My Childhood, Boring, Awful, On Every Level, Worst Movie. That's mine. What, what about you? Give me some movies. Howard the Duck. Howard the Duck. I might be up there for sure. Exodus was, Exorcist was the scariest movie of all time for sure. Um, what else? Peter's Which one? Peter's Friends. That sounds awful. Yeah, <laughs> that does sound awful. And Jaws, no way. That's an incredible movie. I mean, I didn't swim for like five years in the ocean after that, but... Waterworld. It was a little long and boring. You're right. You know, what? Anyone else? Sorry. Sharknado. That got like blown up last service too. I'm sorry. Sharknado 3 maybe, but the original Sharknado is legit. (laughs) What I think is interesting when you think about what makes something the worst movie, I mean, could anything be more subjective than saying what is the worst movie ever? And if someone in 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 our congregation made Star Wars, one, then I would apologize and I probably would have picked something different, right? Um, but if you just think, man, I just want to make a blatant judgment about a movie. Like, it's like, it's so subjective. And think about their words. What is the worst movie ever? I mean, we're talking of all the movies. I mean, Google, worst movie ever. Like, I've never seen those because those are the worst movie ever. But we, we put this judgment on. We, 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 we classify something and we put it in a box. And this 
case, we say this is the worst movie ever. And it's a movie and like, whatever, it's no big deal. But the bummer is that's our language. That's how we interact. That's how we talk. And unfortunately, we actually use that language with each other, right? That is the worst person ever. That's the ugliest person ever, the most evil person ever, the most racist person ever. Like whatever, we, 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 we judge people. We put categories around people and we just judge them and we crush them. And we know, that it, we know that it crushes them because every single one of us in this room have been crushed by being judged by other people. Every single person in this room has had people call you a name, um, have put you in a box, have defined you a certain way. Hey, Daryl. Um, um, you know, every single person in this room has been judged and you know what it's like when you've been put in a box like that. And if you know what that's like, then whenever you use that kind of language and you speak about others in a sort of way that dehumanizes them, that puts them in a box, that puts this true category on something that is so subjective is just devastating and is crushing us at all times. And this, this, uh, this morning we're in a series called No Fear and we're, we're walking through this idea of being no fear. But I just wanted to pose this question. Imagine what it'd be like if you were free from judgment. Imagine if you lived, if the way that you just navigated the world, that you were free from judgment. You were free from the existential terror that maybe there's this angry God in the clouds looking down on you, ready to just squash you. Or at least trick you, let you have a good life so you can stand before him one day and then squash you. What if you could be free and were totally free from the judgment of God? What if you understood that you were loved so deeply by God that, that all of a sudden, if someone from outside of your tribe didn't like you or didn't approve of you, you were like, okay, that doesn't matter to me because you were so free. And what would it be like if you lived with people within your tribe and within people around you and they didn't like what you were doing, but you, didn't, but, but you weren't paralyzed by that, if you were free from judgment? I mean, think, imagine how your life would be different if you were free from judgment. Oh, wouldn't that be good news? I mean, I think that'd be incredible news because I think for myself and for almost everybody I interact with, it feels like that we live in this paralyzed moment. We protect our entire life. We protect our entire being because we are so scared for being found wanting and for being judged by God and by others and others in our world. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at how in the world do we navigate that. If we want to be people who live without fear, which would just be an incredible gift, what might God be inviting us to do? So I, just, I read that passage in 1 John, and, uh, and one of the things it talks about is, uh, is fear. And, and um, oh, I already forgot what it said. Right? It says that there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out all of fear. And so when you think about what is fear, um, you know, you, I, Google is incredible. That's how I learn everything these days. And so I Google fear and check out these pictures I found. Okay, that is fear. These, uh, you know when you go like to, uh, to, 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 um, to Disneyland or uh, Santa Cruz um, Boardwalk and you do a roller coaster and at the scariest part of the ride they take a picture of you. Well, there's this place called Nightmares, Nightmare Fear House or Nightmare Fear Haunted House, whatever, in, uh, in somewhere in the East Coast. And I'm telling you, I will never go to this place. I hate being scared. But whatever happens up to this moment, life is great. And then all of a sudden these guys like pee, their, pee themselves and they get a picture taken of it. And I just love it because these guys are so awesome. You just know they live life like, man, we are awesome. We got our life under control. And they live life and they're 
life and like they're with their friends and they think this is awesome. And then all of a sudden something happens and they freak out and they are scared and they live in fear. Now, what's interesting is that fear is, is, is a defense mechanism. It's a snapshot that happens because the way that God made us or the way that our brains developed over all, all the thousands and thousands of years um, is that, you know, when a lion jumps out at you when you're out hunting, you don't have time to go, oh, there's a lion that jumped out on me. Let me look at all the options in front of me. Let me see who all around me and who I'm going to save first and who's going to have to get eaten. Um, you know, like our bodies, like our brains go, like narrow down. It shuts off like half of our brain, like all of our brain functions just shuts down. You see narrowly and then you have two choices, right? You either fight or you flight. And that's what happens when our life is in danger. That's what happens. But the bummer is very few of us live lives where our lives are constantly in danger, like mortal danger. But yet, because our brains are, are, you know, our brains actually just naturally slip into that. Even if we experience something that's not naturally dangerous, we experience danger and all of a sudden our brains shut down and our, our vision gets narrow. And now we have to like, we have this fight or flight moment. And so all of a sudden when I'm fearful about something, the same thing that would happen if a lion jumped out of me, my brain does, right? So if you're a fight person, all of a sudden you get angry, you get irritable, you get mean-spirited. And you know it's true, right? If someone is judging you, if you're around people and they are just pointing a finger at you, and you or you know they're just thinking about that in your head, think of like Thanksgiving, you know, and you're like, I know what you're thinking, right? And you kind of like gird up and you're like, all right, let's go. And there's some people who are like, all right, they, 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 they lean into it and they get angry and they will get mean-spirited and they're ready to take on whoever's going to judge me, whoever's going to crush my soul, I am coming after them. Or they'd be like, ooh, this is not good. And they, they, they fight, right? They, all of a sudden they, they, they withdraw and they step back and they experience you know, anxiousness and depression. They just like withdraw because they can't handle that fear moment. And what's crazy is we live in a world where we experience more and more fear, more and more fear about the world around us. And we, it's weird because we live in like the most safest time in all of history, in the most safest county in all the world, in the safest place. And yet we experience this fear and anxiety. And so our bodies are just ramped up. And because our bodies and our brains are ramped up to live in fear, like our brains are just shut off. And this morning, we're going to take a look at this passage of scripture a little more deeply, because I think God might be inviting us to take a deep breath and to recognize that there isn't a lion about to destroy us. The things that we're so fearful of we don't need to be as fearful as we think we are. And if we could understand the depth of the love of God, if we could understand the peace of the love of God, then we can actually stand and use more and more of our brain to be all that God has for us. So here's this one thing I just don't want you to miss this morning. That fear, when you experience fear, you just need to recognize that that is a survivor, survival mechanism. And it's a survival mechanism that causes you to be self-centered and protective. Right? If you're about to die, that's important. It's important to be self-centered and protective to make sure that you survive that minute and that day. But because we live in a context and a culture that is so defined by fear, we actually feel like it's normal and normative now to live in a life that is self-centered and protective, right? We build up walls around our house. We build up walls around our family. We build up walls around our friendship. And we protect ourselves at all get out. Now, the bummer is that is everything is the exact opposite thing that Jesus invites us to do. So while fear is a survival mechanism that causes us to be self-centered and protective, love, love is the antidote to fear and love calms our fears and it allows us, and it not only allows us, it actually compels us to be generous to others, especially to those outside of our tribe. We always think we get off easy by going, yeah, we love people. Everybody loves our people. 
and our world is getting smaller and smaller, so maybe it's just the people in your current household. But that is not what the Christian experience is. It's not what Christian discipleship is about. Christian discipleship is about having love that allows us and compels us to love others, especially those outside of our tribe. Okay, with that being said, why don't you grab your Bibles and let's jump right back into 1 John chapter 4. So it says this, that God is love. The very character of God, who he is at the core of his being, is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. On the day of judgment, on the day that we stand before God and he's on his throne and he opens up his book and he looks at your entire life every minute by minute by minute by minute and he's standing before you with his lightning bolt or hammer or however you picture it. On that day, this is how love is made complete among us, that we will have confidence on that day. And the reason we do that is because earlier in verse 10, it says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's so weird because we have this idea that God is so full of judgment, so full of wrath. And for the parts of his character where that is true, Jesus' death on the cross made all of that null and void. Because of Jesus, every single thing that you could imagine that God would open up in his book and look at you and be disappointed or be angry or ready to crush you with his hammer, anything that you would imagine has been wiped clean. Because of Jesus, there is no judgment. Like if you want to know what is the judgment of God, well, the judgment of God made clear to us in the person of Jesus, made clear in the work of the cross, is that it is finished and that you are forgiven people. So whatever sort of weird thing about being scared of God, worried about the judgment of God, that is null and void the more and more that we understand who God is. For God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how it is made complete among us that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. For in this world we are like Jesus. For there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is made perfect in God. I love that. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. I mean, the whole reason why we sing songs and look at God's word day in and day out. The reason why the very first song we teach little kids is that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, is because it is vital to who we are as people to understand that God loves us. And when we can get that God loves us, not in a cliche way, but in a real existential way, then our world will be changed forever. Because the deal is when you get that God loves you, love makes you secure. Love is the thing that's going to allow you to feel safe and to feel secure. I came across uh, this movie a couple years ago. I think it's the best Christian movie ever made. Um, It's called San Andreas. I don't know if you've seen this movie, Um, but it stars The Rock, uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, probably the greatest actor of our generation. And um, it's this awesome movie. I mean, he's my doppelganger too. So I'm like, look at a movie. I love that guy. it is an awesome movie. And so he, he works for Search and Rescue and he's a helicopter pilot and he's The Rock, right? And so he has a, 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 a wife and a daughter and, you know, there's all sorts of family dysfunction, which is normal to kind of get you caught up in the deal. But basically what happens is his daughter goes up to San Francisco and he's down in LA and this giant earthquake happens, right? And the San Andreas fall. California's about to fall into the ocean and it's scary and people are dying and buildings are falling down and it is like death and destruction. 
everywhere. Well, his daughter's up in San Francisco and buildings are falling down and, uh, you know, and everyone is running for their lives and, uh, and she's trying to find higher ground. But what's interesting in this movie, uh, the, his daughter, his name's Alex, she's like, you know what? My dad is going to come and find me and we just have to get to this right spot because my dad will come and find me. And the entire movie is the rock going through hell and high water all day, every day to get to San Francisco. And he comes across every sort of barrier possible. I mean, there's one part he's driving in the middle of the road for no reason. There's like the Grand Canyon, like the split. Like, it doesn't even make sense. Like, you look on the map, you're like, that's not how it would work out because it was a real movie, you know? But every sort of place along the way, there were these huge barriers. And every time there was a barrier, the rock is like, no. I'm going to do whatever it takes. Oh, I can't drive there. Then I'm going to go, you know, steal a plane and fly there or whatever. I mean, how, oh, there's nowhere to land. I'm going to parachute out because he's the rock. He doesn't care whatever it takes. He's going to get to San Francisco. He's going to find his daughter and he's going to, and he's going to rescue her. I mean, it is just an incredible story. This song that we sang right before I came up, The Reckless Love of God. I mean, this is, I think, some of the most beautiful poetry and a song um, about the love of God that I've heard in such a long time. It's, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down and it fights until I'm found. It leaves the 99. I love that. It chases me down and it fights till I'm found. It leaves the 99. When you watch San Andreas, you're like, that is what the rock was doing. That is what God does. He chases us down until we're found. I couldn't earn it and I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, Reckless love of God. There's no shadow you won't light up. There's no mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There is no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down coming after me. Oh, the overwhelming, never ending, reckless love of God. That is how God feels about you. More than that's how God feels about you, that is how God runs after you. That's how God runs after your kids and your grandkids and the people who you love. God is in relentless pursuit and there is not a wall that he will not kick down to run after you. He loves you. He has rescued you. And what's incredible about this movie is that his daughter knew that her dad was going to come and rescue her and save the day. I mean, she knew it. And if we are honest, we know that we are in desperate need of rescuing. And all we have to do is get to a spot and say, God, I need you to rescue me. And God, sure enough, shows up and he rescues us. It's a beautiful story. It's the best Christian movie of all time. But here is why it is even better than I can only imagine. And it's because it's his daughter, Alex, knew in her heart that her dad was going to come and get her. And because she knew in her heart that her dad, the rock, the rock uh, Dwayne Johnson was going to come and rescue her, she was able to be clear-minded. As the whole, all of San Francisco is falling into the ocean and everything is, everyone is dying and it is like a total, just like, the whole place is just going down, right? Um, She has her wits well enough to grab these two British guys and to save them. These guys were good for nothing. Everyone is freaked out in fear because the whole world is collapsing around her. And she knew that her dad's a rock. Her dad's going to come and find her. And she was at, had enough of her brain working that she could take these, these guys and rescue them along the way. It 
is an incredible story. It is an incredible movie. And I think that is really what God has for us, that we aren't just loved. The idea is that we aren't just loved to go, yes, God loves me. It's like a big warm blanket, which is great. Sometimes a big warm blanket is great, but we are loved by God for a purpose. It goes on to say in verse 15 that we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister who they have seen yet cannot love God whom they have not seen. He has given us this commandment that anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. We love because he first loved us. The whole Christian story, knowing that God loves you, is just day one. That is just step one. And it is so heartbreaker that we are so so dysfunctional. We are so ruined. We are so wrecked that we have to just sing about God's love over and over and over again, which is fine. We need it. We need it. But just know that that is Christianity. That is day one of Christianity. To be a follower of Christ recognizes that because God loved us, we then can love other people. Because God loved us, we are free from judgment. If we can get that God, I mean, I think if, I always think about this, if The Rock was my dad, my world would be so different. You could say whatever you wanted to me, and I'd be like, uh, my dad's The Rock. You could call me whatever name in the book, and I'd be like, uh, my dad, that guy with the big tattoo and huge muscles. Like, it'd be like a game changer, right? And The Rock's a flawed person, and I totally get that. But imagine if that, you just extrapolate it out, and you get that God, the creator of the universe, loves you with that much love and that much passion. Then all of a sudden, when the people outside of your tribe who judge you and who crush you, you put the decimal point in the right place. Or the people who are worse in your tribe who judge you and crush you, you'd put that in the right place. So we love because he first loved us. I came across this incredible story. There's this kid, his name's um, Dennis Esteban, and he's a Haitian refugee. He came uh, when he was in first grade to this, to the, to this uh, school in Florida. First grade, Haitian kid moves to Florida. He doesn't speak the language. He smells funny. His food is funny. And no one, because kids are awful, would talk to him. All of first grade sat by himself. All of second grade sat by himself. All of third grade. His entire elementary school career was him sitting by himself. He was so on the outside of his school. Didn't speak the language, ate weird food. No one knew what to do with him. Everyone had their friendship group. Called him names, picked on him, and he just sat by himself. Well, only by God's grace, he hit puberty and started to grow muscles and it turned out that he's an incredible athlete. And by the time he was a senior in high school, he was the star of the football team. He was the most popular person on campus. He was the big man on campus for sure. And what's interesting about his story is he finally figured out that he is loved. He had a place. He was esteemed. And what's funny is most of us go, oh, that would be so great. Wouldn't it be so great to be esteemed, to be loved, and to never have to worry about people picking us ever again? That's how like, I think in my dysfunction. That's the end. But not this guy. What he did is he goes, I'm loved. I'm esteemed. People respect me. So we're going to start this club called We Dine Together. Him and his four buddies um, on the football team and a couple of the, the women, the, the young ladies, I guess, who were just you know, big women on campus. And they said, you know what? We are going to go and find people who are sitting alone and we're going to sit with them. Every Tuesday, we're going to gather and we're going to like, you know, have a little pep rally and then we're going to wander around the campus and we're going to find the kids who are sitting alone and we're going to see them. We're going to talk to them. We're going to give them dignity. We're going to ask them questions and we're going to spend our lunch hour being with them. We could do whatever we want. We could go off campus. We could do it because we are seniors. We can do whatever we want. We can, we're going to be with them. 
Now imagine being an awkward freshman, right? You're sitting alone because you're an awkward freshman. I mean, I didn't have to imagine. I'm like, yes, I was an awkward freshman. I get that. It's so brutal. You're, you're 14. There's the 18-year-olds with mustaches and beards and big muscles, and you don't fit in, right? You don't know how to fit in. And then these guys walk over. They see you, and they give you dignity, and they give you honor, and they share their life with you. I mean, it is not rocket science, but it's like all over the news because, oh my goodness, somebody who is well-loved used their love and latitude and leverage to, to, to love other people. And that is what Christ compels us to do, that we love because he first loved us. And what's funny is why don't we all do that? Because we live in fear. What would happen if he stepped out? What would his friends say if he steps out and loves people who aren't uncool like him, right? It's paralyzing. Or what happens if you go and sit down to the next somebody and they're like, who are you? Like, it's paralyzing. But when you get that you were loved, when, you have, when you're safe and when you're secure in your identity, you can actually run after people and care for them and not be in any fear about judgment. Earlier in that passage, John chapter 4 says, in this world, we are to be like Jesus. In this world, we're to be like Jesus. And when I imagine that, this is, this is the picture that comes to my mind. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be Swedish with nice, beautiful hair. <laughs> I mean, it's a silly picture for sure. But it's funny because in some, for some reason, our go-to when we think we want to be like Jesus is we want to be perfect. We want to be pure. We want to be holy. We want to be untouchable. We don't want to be around messy and gross kids with their muddy fingers touching our beautiful white robes because we love God. And I think in a good way, right, we, we don't want to like mar God's reputation. We want to honor God. We want to honor ourselves. We want, to, we want to be holy people. And we think, keep the dirty people away from us. But this is just a weird little Swedish picture of Jesus. This is not who Jesus is at all. What's so fun about the Gospels is we just have story after story of how Jesus actually was. And in Matthew chapter 9, this is when uh, Jesus is going around, he's collecting disciples, um, and he just finished finding Matthew, who's a tax collector. And in, there, in this context, being a tax collector is like, like there's sinners and then there's tax collectors, right? And he finds this tax collector, he invites him to be, to be one of his disciples, and then he goes to Matthew's house for a party. Verse 10 says this, While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his, and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Right? The Pharisees, they're good religious people wanting to protect the reputation of God, wanting to make sure that their religion is protected. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but it is the sick. But go and learn what this means, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I have come, I have come not to call the righteous, but the sinners. So when I think about it, in this world, we are to look like Jesus. And I came across this picture, and I feel like, yes, this is what we are called to be. This is Pope Francis, who's the head of the Catholic Church, the head of the largest religion, the most powerful religious person in the world, who's a follower of Christ. People are uh, Syrian refugees, Muslim Syrian refugees. They have no paperwork. They have no documentation. They aren't citizens anywhere in the world right now. And they're Muslims. And Pope Francis gets down on his knees, washes their feet, kisses their feet. 
I mean, how intimate is that? It's an incredible picture of what I think Jesus is inviting us, his followers, to be. And there's something that rises up in us, but, but you don't understand. Like, like, what about this? Or what about this? Or what are they going to think? Or what's that going to do? Or am I going to affirm something I don't want to affirm? And we spin out in our head and we freak out because we're so worried about protecting ourselves, protecting our tribe, protecting others, that we end up actually never stepping outside and to do and be who Jesus has called us to be. I spent all week reflecting, reflecting on this picture thinking, what is it costing the Pope to bend down and wash Muslim refugees' feet. And you know, after an entire week of thinking about it, I don't think it costs him one thing. But for some reason, I don't want to do it because I'm not, it costs something, but I can't get my head totally around what it costs. In this world, we're to be like Jesus. And so thinking about that interaction that Jesus had at Matthew's party, in this world, we're to be like Jesus, so we are to not organize our lives to protect ourselves. That's what the Pharisees do. The Pharisees are people who organize their life to protect themselves, to protect their reputation. And the Pharisees just, they just get lit up all the time. But they are good-hearted religious people who deeply love God, who deeply want to honor God. And because of that, they keep the unclean people far away and they shun the people in their worlds to keep them in line so that they can honor God. But somehow they missed it. And Jesus comes in and blows them up. He says, this is not what I've asked you to do. This is not who I've been called to be. And we just need to recognize that we have organized our entire life to protect ourselves. I mean, think of our culture. No one goes to anyone's house for dinner anymore. And if you do, there are people who have been carefully vetted after knowing them for three years, and they come for two and a half hours. And that's it. Like our house, like our world is so complex. It is so scary. There's so many dangers and people out there who are judging us in our our world that we've like, our, our, our house is the last safe little place in our world. And we have protected ourselves from any outside force. But we are not called as Christ followers, people who say, I am loved by God. Therefore, it is on me to love my sisters and brothers to protect ourselves. We have no business protecting our status, protecting our tribe, even protecting our culture. For whatever reason, God has not called Christians to be the protectors of those things. God, Jesus rather, has invited us to organize our lives so that we give up ourselves. That we are called to be people to give up our reputations, to give up our status, to give up our comfort. And it's funny because in my head, in my good theology, I'm like, this is a no-brainer. And yet everything in my life, you know, freaks out about it. But we, as good Christian people, have to take the step and move away from being good uh, Christian people with good theology and go, yep, we want to love all people. We want to be hospitable all, to all people. To be people who actually are willing to give up some of ourselves, so that all people may experience the love and grace of God that all people may know that they are, have dignity and worth because they're made in the image of God. And I don't know if we're willing to do that. I don't know if I'm willing to do that. I don't even know if for an hour and 15 minutes if we could actually make a congregation that had enough space so that anybody from any walk of life would walk into our place and feel loved and cared and respected. It wouldn't matter their age or their demographic or their race or their sexual orientation or even their gender or worse, their political orientation. It wouldn't matter. Could we even do that for one hour and 15 minutes? You don't even have to see them, right? 
But if you could just make space so that everybody was welcome at the table, what an incredible church that would be. But that's just us for one hour and we all go our separate ways. The real call, the hard call, the thing that I'm wrestling with is to not just be nice to people who aren't like me on a Sunday morning. Boy, talk about the, the, the lowest entry point possible, if we could even do that. But I think what Jesus might be inviting us to do is what if we were people who actually lived our lives outside in the real world with real people, not living in fear of judgment and just simply loving people, eating with people, giving dignity and value and worth to all people. It doesn't matter anything about them. What's so fun, when you get that you were so loved by God, then who they are, what they believe, what they think, how they live, it doesn't matter. It does not matter to you. It should not matter. Their deal is between them and God. Your deal clearly in the words of Jesus himself, are to love other people, to give ourselves up for them. Oh, what a hard week it's been for me in this. I said this earlier, fear is a survival mechanism. It causes us to be self-centered and protective. And I think if we're honest, we live in a perpetual state of fear. We've organized our lives to protect ourselves, to protect our tribe at the smallest level, our nuclear family, because that's all we can control. That's not the call of Christ. For love, the love of God, all the songs we sing, all the Bible studies we've had, all the things you learned in Sunday school, all those things are to know that the love of God changes everything. It calms our hearts. You are free from judgment. You are free from the judgment of God. You're free from the judgment of those people around you who think you're weird because of the things that you believe. You're free from judgment for the people in your tribe because you're so gracious and you rub shoulders with people who aren't like us. Like you are free and love calms our fears and allows us, and it more than allows us, it compels us to be generous to others. And the real proof of the pudding is when we can be generous to people who are not in our tribe. So here's the question for you and for myself. Who do you need to invite to dinner? Who in your world needs to come and be a part of your home, even for an evening, to experience the love of God, to be treated with and respect and humanity, to be fascinated with, to learn, to get to know, not to convert, not to start a fight, not to change their mind, but to simply love. Who needs to come and be invited to your house? Wouldn't that be incredible if we as Christians were in the habit of sharing our lives with anyone that God has put in our way. What an incredible gift that would be. I'm so tired of the reputation of Christians being judgmental, hypocritical, you know, shallow thinking, anti-science homophobes. I, I'm so tired of that. I, I want people to think Christians believe the weirdest stuff. We believe in the weirdest things. It is true. To get your head around the incarnation and the resurrection and all those different nuances of things that we believe, it is weird. That is true. I am so happy for people to think that we believe weird things, but, but our reputation should be, but we are people who love others, who are generous towards others, who extend grace and mercy and dignity and humanity for whoever comes in our path. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, I'm so thankful that you are patient with me and you're patient with us. For our whole lives, we've learned about your love and your grace and your mercy. And 
too scared to do anything until we feel like we've got it all figured out. But God, I pray that more and more we would understand how free we are. Your love is so great. It is so grand. And it has freed us from all fear, fear of judgment, fear of outsiders, fear of insiders. Even more so, all the things that we're learning about the ways that you love us, you love those people just as much. You're running after those people with just as much energy and action. And even more so, you've invited us to be part of your plan to extend grace and mercy, to be your hands and feet. So God, please, Help us experience your love so we can be the courageous, gracious, hope-filled people that you've invited us to be. May this county and may our world be changed because people who claim to follow you put their money where their mouth is and love others the way that you have loved us for your glory. Amen and amen.